Our kids can go to uh, the third, fourth, and fifth grade. You guys can head out if you haven't already. That's awesome. Again, it's so good to have uh, everyone here today. Um, if you're visiting with us, I just want you to know, I'll, I believe with all my heart that God's doing an amazing work in this area, and He's doing an amazing work in this church, and uh, our future as a church is just, I think God's going to just do some, uh, some things that's just going to blow us away. That's all I need to say. I just think it's gonna, he's just going to do some incredible things in and through us. But it's going to mean that we really have to commit and surrender to him as our Lord and Savior, as our God. And just trust him with our life and trust him to do what only he can do. And then we just kind of stand back and let him work uh, his magic because that's what he does. So I, I'm excited for what God's wanting to happen in, in this place and in this area. Um, so just pray for that. You know, growing up um, as a kid, uh, I won't even tell you when that was, because most of you don't even have a clue, but, you know, that far back. But, you know, growing up in the 60s um, as a little kid, you know, I remember cartoons, a lot of cartoons that would ha have, they would display you know, this picture of this person, and you can tell they're struggling with a decision in their life, struggling to know what to do, whatever. And all of a sudden, on one shoulder would pop this little devil, you know, in the red suit. And he'd be whispering in their, his ear whatever he wanted them to do. And on the other side would pop up this little angel, you know, with the wings and the halo. And um, he's, the angel's trying to counteract what... The devil was trying to put in there, and you know, in the cartoons, unfortunately, the devil was the one that usually won in the cartoons. It reminded me of the story of the woman who came home from shopping, and as she came in the house, she had this big box, and her husband said, so, so what'd you get? And she said, well, I got this dress, and when she opened the box, it was this beautiful dress, but he could tell it wasn't a cheap dress. He said, how much did you spend? And she told him, and his mouth dropped. And he says, why in the world did you spend so much on that dress? You know we're saving to buy a house. Why did you spend so much money? She said, well, the devil made me do it. He said, no, nah, no, nah, come on. No, seriously, he said, the devil made me do it. He said, then why didn't you just tell the devil to get behind you? She said, well, I did, and he whispered in my ear, you know what, it looks just as good back here as it did from the front, so I bought it. Oscar Wilde once said, I can resist everything except temptation. You ever been there? Somebody else said, how come opportunity knocks only once, but temptation beats your door down? It's true, isn't it? And those are all good questions, right? In fact, there's a, a lot of questions about temptation that are hard to answer. Like, is the devil as powerful as God, or can he make us do anything, you know, that we don't want to do? Back in the 70s growing up, maybe it was in the late 60s, early 70s, but uh, there's a, a comedian I love to watch on TV called Flip Wilson. Some of you may remember him, and he had this character, Geraldine, and 
uh, in it, she, this is where that phrase, the devil made me do it, really came into play because they kind of promoted that. They just said, well, the devil made me do it. Well, can the devil really make you do what you don't want to do? And the short answer to all those is no. It's no. He's not as powerful as God. No, he can't make you do anything you don't want to do. I mean, John made that clear in 1 John 4, 4 when he said that the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. The truth is, the devil doesn't have any power over us that we don't allow him to have. But he can be very persuasive, can't he? You ever found out to be true? I know I have. And the closer that we find ourselves walking with God, the harder he will work to get us off our path and to get us off track. You see, the problem with temptation is we have an enemy who, as the Bible says, is this lion just roaming around looking and seeking to devour all those he can lure into his traps. So maybe that's why John warned, warned us of this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, where he says, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. You get that? For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. Your version may say the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These are not from God. Not from the Father, he says. These are from the world. And that's why I'm glad you're here today. And the reason is this, because those three cravings are found in the passage that we're looking at in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. If you got your Bibles, just open them up, and you can turn there. We began there last week. This is our sixth installment in our series called This Means War, The Reality of Spiritual Warfare. And last week, we began to take a look at this battle between Jesus and the enemy. And as we look at this, I think it can help us to see some things that will help us to overcome the temptations that come into our life as well. And that can give us the confidence and it can give us the courage to be able to stand in the face of those temptations that come. So with that said, let's pray together and then we're going to dive in. Lord, I just thank you for this time and I thank you for this morning. I thank you for what you have for us today, God. I am so excited for each and every person that's here. And God, I know they're not here by accident. They're here because you brought them here. And if you brought them here, then God, you have something for them. So I pray that you speak through me today. May my words be your words. And God, may you open our hearts and minds. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, I believe that there are times in our lives when we are brought to what I would call a crossroads. And what happens at these crossroads can have a dramatic effect on our life, both in the present, but also in the future. In Matthew chapter 4, I think in some ways, Jesus is brought at one of those crossroads. It's a crossroads where God's way and God's will meets Satan's short-term promises. And as we saw last week, Jesus is 
led, or, or really the word means driven. He's driven out into the wilderness. And not by Satan. Satan's not the one that drives him there. He's driven out by the Holy Spirit. Where he will be tempted and tested. And if you remember last week as we talked about temptation. The word really meant to, to be tested or tried. And so Jesus is brought to this crossroads. Which tells me that even though the wilderness. And even though the crossroads can be very difficult places to be. Have you experienced that in your life? That these wilderness times, these wilderness places, these crossroads that we find ourselves at, they are difficult, aren't they? Have you discovered that? Because I know I have. They're difficult places. But it tells me that even though that's true, that that doesn't mean that they aren't necessary places for growth to take place. I think they're necessary in our life. To help us to become more like Christ. In fact, there have been a number of times when I've thought, why on earth, God, did you place me in this situation? I mean, God, what are you, what, what are you doing, man? <laughs> I mean, we got to have a little talk here because I just totally don't understand this. And even though these were difficult times, and you know, the sad thing is, we, we look at the, these wilderness places and these crossroads, we look at these difficult times, and we just automatically assume that they're going to be places where we're going to be attacked mostly by non-believers, but that's really not necessarily the case, is it? Because some of these that I'm talking about that's happened in my life have taken place in the church with people that you think would know better People who you think would be wanting to become more like Christ that you're striving for. I can remember being in a church situation that was so difficult that people would wait for Lucy and the boys to come in. And then when they saw them, they would just stand there and criticize me in front of them and run me down because they didn't like me. But, you know, as I look back on those times when I thought it was difficult, when I wondered how I was going to bear up under the situation, every time I look back, I discovered that God was preparing me for something that was ahead, something that was down the road, something that he was going to do in my life, something greater. You see, it was in those times that I learned a lot more about myself, but I learned a lot more also about my God. You see, these wilderness times are often places right where we need to be for God to do his best work in and through us. So again, here in Matthew 4, Jesus is in the wilderness. He's at a crossroads, and the wait is over, and he's beginning the journey that will eventually lead to the cross. But the preparation process takes him through the wilderness where he will spend 40 days of fasting and, and praying and connecting with his father. And at the end of that time, when he is at his weakest and most vulnerable point in his life, he will be tested and he will be tempted by the enemy whose only purpose was to keep Jesus from fulfilling his purpose. You see, the bottom line is this. Satan likes these crossroads. 
Because it's here that he'll try to get us to doubt or to take matters into our own hands or to walk away from God. He did it to Jesus and you better believe he will do it to you and me as well. Now as we saw last week as we began to unpack this, and we looked at the first four verses last week, but the first temptation was this. It was an appeal to take care of the physical instead of worrying about the spiritual. To take care of the physical instead of taking care of the spiritual in verse 3 look what it said the tempter came to him and said if you are the son of god tell these stones to become bread again man jesus was hungry right it'd been 40 days you better believe he was hungry and what satan is saying is this jesus take care of yourself meet your own physical needs after all obviously your father's not doing it so you better do it You have the power, use it, and stop wasting your time on this hunger strike. Understand, just like he did with Jesus, Satan still attacks, as we've said, at our weakest points, at our weakest moments, at those most vulnerable places in our lives, because he still wants us to doubt. He wants us to doubt our relationship with God, doubt his forgiveness, doubt his ability to provide for our needs. And so how did Jesus respond? He said it is written. He went to God's word, right? I mean, that's how he responded. He overcame Satan's attacks by being committed and obedient to the word of the Father. That's what he did. So that brings us to the last two that we want to look at this morning. And temptation number two was this. This was an attempt to get Jesus to focus his attention on himself instead of upon God. To bring all the attention to him rather than him. Look at verses 5 through 7. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. The wording of these verses indicates that the devil took Jesus literally to the highest point of the temple. It's been speculated that this is the same spot where heathen sacrifices had been made to the sun god. And so what is Satan tempting Jesus with? I mean, what's he coming at him with? Well, he wants Jesus to focus his attention on himself rather than on God. He's basically saying, if you really are the son of God, then you can get all these people to acknowledge you and to fall at your feet right now. You don't have to go any further. Just jump. God would want you to take advantage of an opportunity like this. In fact, he will understand and he will send his angels to protect you. All these people will see this miracle and will believe in you. You As we said last week, we, we need to remember that Satan knows the word. And he says just enough to make us think it sounds right. But not enough to give the real meaning. And that's actually what he's doing here when he quotes from Psalm 9111. And in this case, he leaves out a very important phrase. The phrase is this, to guard you in all your ways. You see, Psalm 
91.11, this is what it says. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. John MacArthur said, the devil takes a beautiful verse about trusting God and he twists it into an invitation to test God. And that's what Satan always does. He twists the word. He twists the meaning. He twists it in a way that you find yourself actually testing God on what he's saying. Now, why did he leave this phrase out? Well, maybe it's, it was because Satan wanted Jesus to act impulsively and bypass God's plan for a new plan. I mean, one that would avoid the cross. I mean, there were probably a lot of people at the temple at that time. Jesus could have become a hero and a legend by giving them this sensational display of power and authority as he could command the angels to bear him up. But that wasn't God's will, and that wasn't God's plan. God's plan was for Jesus to take on the nature of a servant and to die on a cross for the sins of mankind. His plan wasn't for Jesus to become the latest and greatest preaching sensation, which is what Satan was trying to get him to do, basically. And as I thought about this, Satan still attacks us in the same way. He comes and he blurs our vision. And he gets us out of focus, causing God's word and God's will to become fuzzy and to become unclear in our life. And so he, he can get us sidetracked. He's good at offering us an alternative that is easy to justify while, convince, while we convince ourselves that we are still following God's will for our life, Right? I mean, that's what he does. He just offers us an alternative. Some easy way that we can justify the way we're living. Justify what we're doing. And we can convince ourselves that, you know what? It's okay. And we can still kind of fit this in God's plan, I think, for our lives. Here's the bottom line. Sometimes we are tempted to take matters into our own hands instead of waiting on God to work his plan. I've even heard people over the years say that God asked them to do something when in reality they did it for their own selfish reasons. We have to understand that we can't choose our own way and think God will magically bail us out when we get into trouble. But that's what we do, right? We just start living the way we want to live, and we try to fit God into that. And then when we get ourselves in trouble, we, we want him just to bail us out. And then we blame him when, we, when he doesn't. Here's something we need to remember. God has promised his providential care for our life as we strive to live his will out. But, that's a big one. He has not promised to supernaturally intervene when we decide to step aside, to step outside of his will in order to do our own thing or in order to force him to act on our behalf. God has a plan and God has a purpose for your life and your enemy does not want you to fulfill that purpose. So if he can get you sidetracked, if he can get you out of focus, if he can get you sidestepped, He's a step closer to redirecting your life. 
So as we think about this second temptation, what was Jesus' response to Satan's attempt? Well, again, he said, from the word of God, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus' words come from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, and refer to the time when Moses struck the rock in order to get water to satisfy the grumbling Israelites who were questioning God's leadership and faithfulness. So, so what's this saying to us? Well, basically, it's saying this. Don't test God by putting yourself in danger or by going somewhere he hasn't called you to go or doing something he hasn't asked you to do, all in the name of faith. You ever know people like that? Don't test God by putting yourself in danger or by going somewhere he hasn't called you or doing something he hasn't asked you to do just because you want to look like you have a lot of faith. You see, to trust God is to have faith. To, to test God is crazy and dangerous. And there's a difference. Don't have the attitude, I'll do this now and somehow God will fix it later. Satan tried to get Jesus to go outside of God's will. He was tempting him to rush God's timing and to circumvent God's plan. My encouragement to you is this. Focus, focus on God's plan, not your own. Focus on God's plan, not your own. Your desire should not be to prove or to force God's faithfulness, but to show your faithfulness to him. Now, how about the third temptation? It was simply this. It was an appeal to worship the wrong things. It was just an appeal to worship the wrong things. Look at verses 8 through 10. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Once again, Satan tries to lure Jesus into denying who he is and what he has been called to do with the easy solution. No cross necessary. Just bow down and worship him. Now imagine the thoughts that could have been planted in Jesus' mind by this temptation. Such as the good that, he could, that could come if he was the ruler of an earthly kingdom. I mean, he could put an end to disease and hunger and suffering. He could rule with an iron fist and be king. All it would take would be to give in to the offer and bow down and worship Satan. Then the cross would be avoided and he could rule the earth now rather than at the end of days. So what's he saying? What's well, basically this. It's that old deception that the end justifies the means. In other words, give in to temptation now so that good can come down the road. You ever done that? You ever heard that? I mean, go ahead and lie on that resume. After all, think of all the good you can do if you get that job. Cheat on the, that SAT, because if you get in the right school, you can serve the Lord the rest of your life. You see, but there are several things that Satan was forgetting. First of all, it wasn't his world to give. It wasn't his world to give. Only God had the authority to give or take it away. Secondly, Satan can never be worshipped. 
He can never be worshipped, especially by the Son of God. The Creator cannot worship the creature. Now notice how Jesus addresses this third attack by Satan. Because for the very first time, Jesus calls him by name. He calls him by name. He calls him for what he is, for who he is. Now this is my paraphrase, okay? This is my paraphrase of this. It goes like this. Satan, you deceiver, you liar, you evil one, get behind me. Get away from me. Get out of my face. I'm not listening to any more of your lies because it is written only God will be worshipped and you are not God. You are evil. You are a creature of the night. You are bound for, for hell. God is your Lord and one day you will bow down before him. And the result is Satan flees. He flees. You see, beneath all the lies and the deceptions of the enemy is his desire to get you to worship anything other than God. He always comes at us in that way. He will try to use whatever door he can crack open to suck you in into doing what he wants you to do. He suggests that the world of business or politics or fame or whatever... Those are the things that will give us real life. And we can have those if only. If only. If only we ignore God, His will, His purpose, His plan. If only we will simply just bow down and worship the false promises that He has given. And if we do that, then we can have all these things. He basically wants us to do this. Put self on the throne and put God in a closet. That's what he's striving for. Now verse 11 says this. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. You see, because Satan's present power is only by God's permission, when the son commanded him to leave, he had no choice but to obey and leave. And after he left, God sent angels to take care of him. Never forget, God always provides. He always provides. It may not be when we think it should happen, but he will always provide, especially when we stand in his power and we stand through the power of the Spirit and on the Word of God and we fight. He'll always provide. Always will. Let's reflect and we'll close. I want to remind us of something and is this, temptations and te times of testing, they do not have to define us for one. And they do not have to destroy us for another. You do not have to be defined in your life by the temptations and the, and the testings that, that come your way. And they simply don't have to destroy you. In fact, they can make you more like Jesus. And they can make you stronger. Look at James Chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Look what, what it says. I love the way the Message Bible puts it. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. Let me ask you, how many of you really see times of testing and trials as a gift? Have you ever thought of it as a gift? That's what James says. He says, consider it a sheer gift. When these times come, 
I mean, when you're attacked from all sides, all angles, it just seems like everywhere you look, everything you do, you're being attacked at. Consider it a gift. Because you know that under pressure, and this is the part I really like how they word this, you know that under pressure, get this, your faith life is forced into the open and it shows its true colors. That's good, isn't it? It's also a little scary, right? Because you know that under pressure, under these times of testing, under these trials, under these temptations, when those things happen, it forces your faith life to be brought into the open. And your true colors, your true self is really shown in how you respond to those times of testing and those trials of life. So look what he says. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. That's the power of trials and testing. When we view it from God's perspective and not from the enemy's point of view. You see, temptations and trials are not meant to, they're not, it's not meant to make us sin. They are meant to make it possible for us not to sin. These, these testings and these temptations and these trials, they're not meant to make us sin. They're, they're, they're meant to make it possible for us not to sin. They're not meant to make us bad. They're meant to make us better. And they're not meant to weaken us, but they are meant to make us stronger in our walk with Jesus. You see, Jesus overcame so that you and I would be able to overcome as well. And maybe that's why Paul could write these words in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptations to be more than you can stand. And when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. You see, I believe that with every temptation, every trial, every testing that comes your way, he is providing a way out. He is providing a way of escape. He is providing a way for you to become better. But you got to be looking for it. Because it's there. And if you give in, it's because you haven't wanted to see what God is providing. It's always there. He promises it. You see, the enemy is good. He's good at tempting us and testing us. But God is greater. And we can overcome. Through the word of God and through the presence of God that's in our life. Pray with me. Father, I just thank you for this time and I thank you for this moment. God, as we think about the spiritual war that we're in and we think about how we can overcome, how we can have victory. You have given us an example right here in Matthew's gospel. Because your son went through the same things we will go through and he stood the test. And he did it by re relying on you, by being committed to you and your words. And so help us to do the same, God. Father, we just know that life's not going to be easy. 
but I'm just thankful that you have given us a way. And I'm thankful that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. It's in your name we pray. Amen.